When is boob needed? <laughs> okay, I will tell you when boob is needed. Sex in the City. All the characters pretty much had sex with their bra on. And that is the one time I will argue <laughs> you need boob. Because <laughs> no one's doing that. It's called Sex in the City, babe, not boobs in the city. Not boobs in the city. <laughs> Welcome back to the Shaking Not Scared podcast. Here with you as always, your hosts, Eric and BB. Today we're going to be talking about the 1992 film Candyman, directed by Bernard Rose. But before we get into that, how are you, BB? It's been a really lazy Sunday, but I'm excited to finally cover Candyman. I've never seen it before. Heard it talked about so much. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited too. I want to watch the new one now that we've seen this because I remember my family always talking about it. They used to scare the shit out of us as kids because we're obviously from Chicago. They would always say, like, say his name in the mirror. And we had a Candyland board game that they would kind of correlate with Candyman. Yeah, they like messing Just with us. Just scarred you for life. <laughs> yeah, that, Chucky, bunch of other stuff, yeah. Yeah, but, this and Chucky take place in Chicago, so very scary to us. What do you have for creepy content? I think me and you probably have the same creepy content. We watched Crimson Peak with Nightmare Fears and Girl That's Scary this week on Clubhouse, and it was a real fun time. Yeah, I'd never seen it. You said you've seen it more than once? Yeah, I saw it closer to when it first came out, and then recently for an article we did for Sheree. It was fun. I liked it. it it's another Del Toro film. Gave me Devil's Backbone vibes. The specters are similar where their fluids are floaty in space. Yeah, definitely his signature style. It's a really beautiful looking movie, but it's not my favorite Del Toro. Yeah, it ends like Gangs of New York for some reason. <laughs> it's fun though. I, I kind of liked it. The twist at the end is... Obvious. Obvious and weird. It's weird. I think yeah. that's the part that makes me like, eh, about the movie. Not that like anything like that was new because Game of Thrones had done it a million times already but I just didn't see where it fit in this like ghost story. I think it could have done without it. It could have just been like his caretaker or something. I don't know. Yeah. Which also is fucking weird. But on that super comforting note, what do you have for comfort content? I really like Pride and Prejudice. So I've just been listening to the audiobook for the 10th million time and I have it on all the time. Is it really that good? I don't think I've ever seen it. I love it. I don't know why I love it. It's just something so specific to the period drama of it all. It talks about like like social class and it's just a classic book that i like a lot what about you i've actually continued to be obsessed with pokemon <laughs> so i got more pokemon cards and actually made some tiktoks i've been posting like two videos a day go check it out if you like pokemon if not i mean it's fine i'll be a nerd by myself but <laughs> i also got pokemon snap from vivi as a valentine's day gift that's early but we're gonna play it tonight probably because i used to play the one from nintendo 64 so much it's gonna be fun i can't wait yeah i like how switch revamped a lot of the n64 games yeah, you still have to finish your All-Stars Mario game. Yeah. It has Mario Sunshine, and I really wanted to play that when I was a kid. I never had a GameCube, and I used to just see people talk about how awesome it was, and I could never play it. Well, I've never played it, so we could play it together. If you like Mario 64, you would love Galaxy. All right, let's play it, because that's <laughs> what I've been playing, 64. And you still didn't get my Metal Mario joke about Ghostface. Ah, uh, yes. You won't let that go. <laughs> Someone on the internet got it when I tweeted about it. Someone. Yeah, one person yeah. knew what I was talking about. <laughs> that's your real soulmate there. I don't even know if it was a real account. Might have been a bot. Thanks, bot bots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you came up with today's drink. What do we have today? What was the inspiration? Having never seen this movie before, I did know about there being a ton of bees in here. So I just went with the obvious of doing a honey cocktail. I was trying to think of something and found out that there 
is a cocktail called the bee's knees so i kind of made a variation of that drink because i think it has gin in it and we did gin not that long ago so i wanted one with tequila i just substituted that and it has a lot of honey syrup in it so i'm thinking it's gonna be really sweet <laughs> love me some honey assuming you were gonna say because it's sweet you expect me to hate it i do really like honey when you were making me tea while i was sick and i started making my own tea the ginger tea i loved the honey i think that's like the sweet i can tolerate a lot of it's like the most natural sweet isn't it yeah because this drink is tequila the version i saw of it had mezcal in it and i didn't want to add mezcal so i decided to do an adjoining shot with it so i'm gonna call this the hook and the beasting i can dig that okay so the <laughs> shot actually has mezcal in it and i added some orange liqueur so yum what kind of orange liqueur now that we know there's four grand marnier i don't know if that's how you pronounce it but grand marnier marnier <laughs> you gotta say it fancy cheers cheers mm, it's ripe with tequila smell i use centenario the recipe called for silver tequila but i don't love silver tequila unless it's in a margarita it starts off kind of like a sour and then you get the hints of honey and the tequila it all mixes pretty well it kind of tastes like tea spicy tea yeah like imagine adding lime and honey to tea that's kind of what it tastes like i love this the sting let's try that one this is sweeter it's very orangey and smoky i think i like the main cocktail a little better definitely a super easy shot you can throw these down better than like straight liquor what do you rate it i like honey like i said and i just like the warm feeling that it kind of gives you as you drink it i give this a four i really like this i'm gonna give it a five out of five. Oh wow i just love tequila so it's just great what do you think of the shot 2.5 because it is a little sweeter i would give it a three out of five as well for a shot not the best not the worst it definitely will sting you though don't drink too many of these because yeah. they are dangerous speaking of bee stings are you going to sting me with some facts I have a lot of them, so yes. Casting for this film could have been very different. We could have had Eddie Murphy as the Candyman and Sandra Bullock as Helen. I... This could have been a fucking comedy movie. <laughs> I cannot imagine those actors in this movie. Eddie Murphy was like already famous at this point, but he was just too expensive to even consider. Sandra Bullock, however, was the third contender and still wasn't even famous yet. Right, because this is 92. So the role was originally going to go to Bernard Rose's wife, but she got pregnant. And so it went to Virginia Madsen. But Sandra Bullock was the third. If Madsen denied it, Sandra was going to take it. This could have been like a comedy. It's so weird. Yeah, it would have like not been taken seriously, I think, have those two actors had the lead. I mean, maybe we're thinking that now because i think sandra just depends on what you know her in because if you haven't seen anything serious with her you just kind of are like what <laughs> yeah she's a comedy actress you think but eddie murphy has only done comedy that i am aware of right speaking of changes the candy man was originally a man with pale skin and long blonde hair wearing brightly colored clothing in the forbidden as it says in the opening credits the film is based on a short story called the forbidden by clive barker who is also known for hellraiser this movie definitely has hellraiser vibes dream from another world sex vibes pain is exquisite yeah. whatever he says <laughs> clive barker is british and originally had the story set in liverpool but was changed to chicago at bernard rose's request after changing the setting to chicago rose wanted the film to take place in the worst part of chicago at the time and was pointed to cabrini green the film crew actually filmed there and had police escorts follow them around for protection they even hired some local folks to keep gangs in the area away i believe i saw somewhere too that they paid people off like they paid gang members to leave them alone i work in construction not like physically but when we 
we have crews go out to the south side. I just think it's crazy when they say they had to hire an armed escort to go there when we are there just like every day doing our own thing. You know just what I mean? Just living our lives. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to comment on it. It's also hard to comment on it because I don't believe this specific housing exists anymore. I think it was torn down eventually. And what we see a lot here is neighborhoods can go from being like the worst within a couple decades to being extremely gentrified and becoming the new up and coming neighborhoods. So open up a Starbucks and it no longer looks like this. Yeah. Open up your hipster vegan coffee shop and suddenly there's no people of color in your neighborhood so yeah i don't know i can comment on this shit all day anyway ruthie jean's murder by someone who came through her bathroom cabinet is actually based on the true murder of ruthie may mccoy in 1987 who was murdered in that exact way there were also other murders that happened in the same mo at the time follow-up question i don't know if it's in your notes but was this in chicago yes oh oh so some kind of like true crime inspiration in here. Philip Glass was the composer for the score of the movie. When they reached out to him for the score, he created it and was pissed when he saw what movie it was applied to because he was like, this is like a shitty horror gory movie. And I was over here trying to make something classical and was upset that they lied to him. That's upsetting because I think the score of this movie is awesome. And I am so surprised it's not more iconic in the way that like Michael's score is iconic, the way Freddy's song is iconic. He's come back though and said that he's still making money from this so he's not as upset anymore put some money and shove it up someone's ass and they'll shut the fuck up about it many were concerned that a white english man writing an african-american horror villain would be full of negative racial stereotypes producers made him consult the naacp before starting production who approved the script and thought it would be great to see a black actor play someone like freddie this doesn't mean people still didn't find the movie problematic some have even said it uses white people's fear of black people and racial stereotypes for shock value i mentioned this to you before we started recording and we'll say it right off the bat we're not the people to comment on this we are not educated enough on the subject we obviously noticed the racial tones in the movie the only thing that i personally found well there's a lot of things but one that really stood out to me is that Candyman is instead of seeking revenge on the people who we assume murdered him being white men he is terrorizing people of his own race which i thought was really odd i don't know i thought so too what i thought you were going to say was that instead of getting revenge against the white men who punished him he's out here trying to get the woman he died for this is like a love story it's not even like he's given a full-on i'm a murder you like freddy or jason story he's got this romantic phantom of the opera story oh, undertone yeah. i've seen it compared to that a lot we'll just say there is way better podcasters to talk about this movie there's definitely like so much information out there that you could seek out we're just here to talk about it in terms of horror yeah and then there's this last one which is probably the most famous fun fact which is that all the bees in the film were real tony todd who plays Candyman, negotiated with producers that he would get an extra thousand dollars for every bee sting inflicted on him he ended up getting stung 23 times but several precautions were also taken. The bees were bred specifically for the film so that they were young. Apparently they sting less when they're younger. The cast was also covered in the queen's scent to reduce stinging. Side fun fact. Reading this reminded me of the scene from the movie My Girl with Macaulay Culkin. Who's I've never seen it, but I know that he dies from a bee sting. Oh, not one bee sting. Oh, it's a lot? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> and the beekeeper from that film was hired to do this. I've never seen the movie and I think it's because like I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really sad. I remember watching that as a kid. And yeah. I was like, what? Macaulay Culkin is dead? What? Richie Rich is dead what home alone kid is dead what <laughs> i've seen that fact everywhere was virginia madsen allergic to bees yes so she was allergic to bees i wanted to save this specific fun fact for later but for all those scenes where the candy man quote-unquote puts her under a spell she was actually hypnotized by mm. rose 
I don't believe that stuff. I don't believe that people can actually be hypnotized. Okay. But that goes into like, what do you believe? What do you not? Because apparently she was. She was hypnotized and it was just her and him alone. And he would hypnotize her to make things easier and more believable. So for the B scene, he also hypnotized her so that she wouldn't be as afraid. I don't know. I was reading the interview. This is from Madsen. She said that he was like, it's not even that bad and kind of like forced her, it seems like. But she was like, I was an actress just trying to do whatever to get a paycheck. So I did it. But he really? was like, don't even worry about it. It's not even that bad. And she's like, I'm deathly afraid. I'm allergic. He made her go get tests to make sure she wasn't because he didn't believe her. Oh, fuck. Turns out she's like more allergic to wasps than mm. bees. I don't know. I don't know what the real context is of it. That's the way I read her interview. And I was like, that's kind of shitty. If my boss is telling me now, fuck you, you're stupid. You're not actually allergic. Go get a test. I bet mm. you're not. It's like, I don't have to prove shit to you. <laughs> so many problems. Yeah. I read somewhere that they had to keep like emergency services there, like an ambulance and EpiPens just in case. Yeah. They had the whole crew ready. So hypnotism, allergic tests, Man. all those kinds of things were done to make sure she was good. Really makes you appreciate that scene like way more because it's crazy. All the bees in his mouth are real too. Ugh. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and he got 23,000 bucks just for I mean, getting stung. him. What I was thinking about was like 23 bee stings. I just automatically again think of my girl. But I think he dies because he was allergic. I used to for the longest time think that one bee could just kill you because of that just movie. Straight up murder you. I thought it was a horror movie. I don't even think it is. I think it's like a romantic movie or whatever. Oh God. <laughs> Anytime I got stung by a bee, I was like, I'm going to die. If anything, after watching Hereditary, keep an EpiPen on you at all times. <laughs> even if you're not allergic to anything, just in case you need <laughs> Right. Now I'm thinking, did Alex Wolf have ants on his face? For real? If he didn't, he needs to learn from Candyman. Like he needs to get on her level. Right. He's over here trying to smash his face in desks. He needs to have some real ant swarm on his body if he really wants to be on the edge. Throwing himself out windows? No. Put some ants on your body. Good job, Tony Todd. Real hero. Are you ready for the speed run? No. <laughs> Clearly. One, two, three, go. Okay, so we get introduced to the legend of Candyman through a student who is like giving this report to Helen, who is working on a thesis with her friend Bernadette. She um, is investigating the Candyman. Her husband also works at UIC and is like teaching legends. He's totally banging one of his students, but like we don't see that till later. So um, Helen is just obsessed with uh, her thesis and getting as much information as possible to the point where she goes and investigates in the projects where this urban legend kind of uh, is born, originated from. Um, she keeps like going back and asking questions and asking questions and it eventually gets her in trouble with a gang member who then kind of hits her with a hook, kind of like the legend, to keep her from like investigating too much. Um, it goes to shit from there because we find out that Candyman is actually real and kind of influences her to do terrible things. She like may have murdered a dog, kidnapped someone's baby, and then like she's getting put in jail and oh, fuck. Um <laughs> And then... <laughs> I psyched you out with telling you that you didn't even you finish the last movie. <laughs> you did. It's okay. You did okay. Uh, I thought you were going to beat it once you said, she does a bunch of shit. I thought you were going to just, just say jump it. And to then the she end. fights. <laughs> well, yeah, because you told me I like totally missed the ending of the last speed run. So it's okay. I really like... suck at these. So, I mean, you do way better than I do. <laughs> but... You failed. So, bottoms up. And we'll finish the rest of this bee sting because we just sipped it. Ding. That's a soft shot. That's a pretty soft bee. Was it bred 12 hours before this podcast? Yes, and you get paid $1,000 for every one you do. Just kidding. Don't ask us for $1,000 if you do the shot. Listener, if you want to see us do more shots, Venmo us. <laughs> <laughs> if you have $1,000 just laying around like that. Yeah. Anyway, good job. Are you ready for what the internet says? Yes. It's going to be like, the South Side killed a bunch of people. Just like the news. Fuck the news. The Candyman. A murderous soul with a hook for a hand is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth. 
Okay. <laughs> accidentally. Hmm. She accidentally summoned them. She seems pretty involved. Right. I don't think it was an accident. She literally went out here and said, I'm not a cop, but Candyman, come out here. Yeah. Seems pretty deliberate. IMDb's gives it a 6.6 out of 10. I feel like horror usually ends up in the 5 or 6 out of 10. Let's dive into it. I'm excited for it. Grab yourself a bee sting. Grab yourself a hook. Yes. And get ready for this. We get an opening shot of the expressway leaving Chicago and then the city skyline as the Candyman speaks saying, what's blood for if not for spilling? I like his speech it's just very hypnotizing i think the way that helen acts when he's speaking it kind of oozes into the viewer you're like trying to understand too what the fuck he means Mm -hmm. (laughs) we get a close-up of a swarm of bees and then a swarm approaching the city that swarm of apocalyptic bees over the city kind of goes nowhere it doesn't it's just an opening (laughs) shot (laughs) right because i think it would be all over the fucking news if just a giant swarm of bees hit downtown chicago specifically the hancock building i will say i went to uic where a majority of the campus scenes take place that place does have a shit ton of bees <laughs> it's because of the candy man. Mm, maybe. Similar to Creep Show, they just released all the bees into the UIC campus. <laughs> hey, save the bees. If anything, yeah. this is an allegory for saving them. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what this film's really about. Yeah, PETA was behind it. Isn't PETA like a terrible organization? Yes. This is a horror movie. I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> okay. In a classroom, Owen tells the story of Clara, who was with a boy named Michael, but had the hots for a boy named Billy. One night, she invites Billy over while she's babysitting. Billy and Clara are in a bathroom, and she asks him if he had ever heard the story of the Candyman. She explains he was a man who had his hand sawed off and now has a hook in the stump. She says to summon him, you have to say his name five times in the mirror, and he'll appear behind you. While Billy tries to be seductive, they say his name, and nothing happens. He tries to make a move, but she says she doesn't want to do it here, and sends him downstairs. When you're in the mood, are you just like... Do you want to play a game? Is that why Scream started the way it did? What the fuck did Billy say? It's always a Billy. We need to get a little rated R and stop being PG-13. She shouldn't have sent Billy downstairs and they could have really just been into it. Hooks into both of them. And then we're in Hellraiser territory again. (laughs) The character of Billy looks 40. Oh my god, yeah, he does. When she said these are teenagers, I was like, ooh. Who's that actor actually? It looks like Sam Raimi. It's Sam Raimi's brother, I think. Oh, is it? I think. That's why I was asking, who's the... He looks so much like Sam Raimi. Ted Raimi. Billy. While alone, she says it a fifth time, and the candy man shows up in a flash behind her. Downstairs, Billy waits in the sofa when he hears the scream and sees blood leaking from the ceiling. Flashback to the girl telling the story, he says Billy was scared so bad his hair turned white. Clara was killed, and so was the baby. She was babysitting. I thought this blood leaking from the ceiling was pretty cool. It kind of reminded me of Nightmare on Elm Street. It did. I got that vibe too. I thought we were going to be reintroduced to Clara and her friend, though. These characters are kind of just there to introduce you to the horror story and then don't really ever come back. Yeah, this is very much just an introduction to the urban legend. I believe I saw somewhere that they married Bloody Mary and the urban legend of the hook in the car together to get Candyman's legend. You're talking about like tow trucks? Some mater started this? No. No, the legend of the hook, you know, where the couples at make out point, the broadcast comes over the radio, an insane dude escaped, he has a hook for a hand, the girl freaks out and wants to go home, the dude is mad, when they pull up to her house to let her out, there's a hook in the door. The story of the hash singing slasher. Basically. (laughs) We find out that it is Helen who is doing the interviews on these students. She walks into another classroom to find her friend Bernadette, who is also working on the same thesis as her, interviewing another student. We're not sure if they're students or just people they've found for their thesis and he's kind of telling a different version of the urban legend just to kind of show you how much urban legends can change when they're told and retold bernadette is played by casey lemons who we literally just covered in silence of the lambs i think this was the last well-known film that she was in before she actually switched to directing herself and has directed a bunch of other things apparently one of her students went on to do the new Candyman. that's awesome but it kind of makes me sad because i feel like she had the potential to be another horror icon and she was like put in 
in the token best friend role. Yeah, I hate that so much. She played literally the same character, it almost feels like. She definitely had more screen time in this than Silence of the Lambs. And again, like Silence of the Lambs was so critically acclaimed, you think she would have been casted in more roles. We then cut to Helen walking through the University of Illinois at Chicago or UIC. She enters a classroom where they're discussing modern folklore and the fear of urban society. Helen approaches the professor and notices a group of students stick around to say bye or comment on the lecture. We get introduced to a girl named Stacy who is definitely flirting with the professor and stares at Helen for way too long. We find out that the professor is Trevor and it is actually Helen's husband. She points out how Stacy was glaring at her and blushing and wouldn't even like acknowledge her really and he's kind of like oh really you're gonna do the jealous wife thing like what do you think is happening he endlessly brushes her aside on her concerns this entire film when dude like you clearly are fucking this girl clearly i notice we do this a lot in movies and i guess i'm just gonna introduce it as a thing the true villain of the story <laughs> we do this in like every episode so i'm gonna award the true villain of this story to trevor Ooh, we should just do this from now on should we make a jingle for it yeah are yes. they trash yes. are they the true villain yes, yes. Got sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of asks him why he's doing this lecture on modern folklore. He just brushes her off and says that I can't wait for you to finish your thesis with Bernadette before giving my class. That's just kind of his role, like you said throughout the movie, just brushing her off. We cut to Helen in a classroom listening back to the tapes on Handyman when a custodial worker comes in and says, hey, do you mind if I clean here? She overhears the tapes and says, oh, you're studying Candyman? We learn that this woman's name is Henrietta. She mentions that she's heard stories about him. Everyone fears him, especially after dark. She says that he's known to be around Cabrini Green and one of her friends lives there. Helen asks if she could talk to her friend and Henrietta calls to another custodial worker named Kitty. Kitty tells her the story of Ruthie Jean was murdered in her bathtub. A neighbor heard loud smashing and tried to call the police multiple times, but they just blew her off and thought she was crazy. Ruthie Jean was eventually found dead and killed with a hook. These women believe that Candyman is the one that killed her. The Candyman wasn't actually responsible yet, right? Yes. It was just this criminal working under the legend, which is pretty like smart because it's almost like your crimes become urban legend, but then not because you're bringing up a lot of fear in the community. It makes me think that if the people in the neighborhood know that this guy's actually real. Jake recognizes him right away. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't they make a mob and get them themselves? But it looks like he's instilled fear. I think they say he's like a crime lord. Yeah, so it seems like he might have some control over the community. With the information that Helen is given, she begins to look through newspapers. Cue the microfiche scene in every movie. I only recognize those now because of what episode was it that you were like, microfiche? And I was like, the fuck is that? <laughs> because it's in every movie. I think it was in Ring when I like specifically pointed out because there's so much microfiche in that one that's right that's right but it's in every single horror movie damn what a world completely replaced by an internet search now in films i believe yeah point is helen is looking through microfiche she's looking through old newspapers about the murders of ruthie jean and several others that kind of check out with kitty's story back at her apartment with bernadette she shows her the articles and says that caprini green is a bad place people are shot there every day helen points out that her building is just like the one where ruthie jean was murdered and says her condo was actually meant to be a housing project but was eventually 
specially repurposed for condos. This is like very specific Chicago details, but they point out that because in the city they can do this by hiding the bad side, quote unquote, of the city by using the elevated CTA to block it out of the fancy people's view from the Gold Coast, that here they couldn't do the same, so they had to repurpose the area. And they even make a comment about like, Helen, how much are you actually paying here? And she's like, don't ask about it. This is just all very specific to people who are from Chicago. I really wonder if like the cult following of this movie is like part of Chicago. I mean, I'm sure it is. I like seeing a movie that takes place in Chicago. At least we got a couple horror classics. Imagine living somewhere like Ohio. You get no movies. Now I want to look up I'm probably lying. (laughs) She then takes Bernadette to her bathroom where she believes the killer came through the mirror. She shows her that if she pulls off the mirror, the only thing separating her apartment from the next one is another back of the mirror. And I am so glad that in our place, we do not have these. No, because the back of our mirror is our bedroom. (laughs) And it is glued to the wall. She shows her that if she knocks through that mirror, she can actually push it off and see the other apartment. She straight up fucking up other people's houses and Bernadette's like, what are you doing? (laughs) And she's like, it's cool. No one lives there. (laughs) Meanwhile, a whole ass family looks through. I think she does say like, what if someone's like on the toilet and she's like, it's vacant. It's like, ma'am, what if it's not? Are you going to go into the apartment next door and put the fucking cabinet back? The realtor's going to come in showing the place like, look, everything is great. The bathroom's redone. This fucking cabinet's on the floor and we can see into the neighbor's house. And she's in they're like what (laughs) taking a shit they kind of laugh about the situation and laugh off even the existence of Candyman. helen and bernadette say his name four times but bernadette stops short of saying it the fifth time leaving helen to be the only one to say it helen laughs and calls her a chicken and they just kind of leave it at that idiots Mm. Mm. did you ever play bloody mary as a kid no i did not me either but you want to do it today no okay that night we get a hallway review of her bathroom cabinet while helen lays in bed she starts hearing noise and gets the shit scared out of her by Trevor who jumps on top of her. The next scene is Helen and Bernadette heading to Cabrini Green. Bernadette goes through her bag showing all the protection she has saying there's a lot of gang activity there and Helen makes fun of her for it for some fucking reason. Like she's so ready to go. She's like it's only eight blocks away. You're over exaggerating. But she's literally been told like this is the worst part of the city. Yeah and again I don't know if it's just because we're from Chicago and we know this to be true. Eight blocks really makes a difference. We are one of the most if not the most racially segregated cities in America. Yeah, when I used to read about Chicago in history books, it used to be like, Chicago is like the melting pot of the United States. I've heard other people refer to it more like a salad. Because they don't touch. We literally have Little Italy, Chinatown, Little Village, which is like mostly Hispanic people. There's also like Humble Park, which is mostly Puerto Rican. Like it's just so segregated, even amongst minority groups. It's crazy. (laughs) But Helen makes fun of her for some reason. Bernadette has the common sense to know where she's going and be safe about it. And Helen's got that same attitude that like white people think that they're invincible and can just go in here and keeps using that whole rhetoric that I'm not a cop, but also they're going to think we're cops, so we're safe. Yeah, it's weird. Bernadette has a taser, pepper spray. She's got everything she needs to go here. Helen asks her whether she'd rather do this or go back to their classroom and write the same old thing for their thesis. They show up to the building where people are posted up and staring at them. They approach the building while the men catcall them. Bernadette is scared, but Helen talks her through it saying that because they think they're cops, they won't do anything to them. Bro, because they think they're cops, they're gonna do something to you if anything that's worse they notice the elevator doesn't work and as the men are surrounding them they ask what they're looking for helen tells them that they're not cops and decides to take the stairs bernadette hesitates but helen says that they won't follow they find graffiti on the wall that says sweets to the sweet and as they're taking pictures a woman opens the door with her barking roddy little rottweiler he's cute they say sorry and continue into an apartment which we're assuming was ruthie's something like that really stands out to me in this film is that they are wearing super 80s coats even though it's 92 
it's like shoulder pads up the ass. <laughs> They're peacoats, right? Yeah, it's very 80s, despite being a 90s film. Helen continues to take pictures while Bernadette says they shouldn't even be there. Helen checks the medicine cabinet, removes it, and decides to cross over to the other side. Bernadette tries to stop her, common sense, and says, if there are drugs, what are you going to do? Just apologize and say, hey, we're here for our thesis, which she fucking does later. Yeah. Helen brushes her aside and tells her to wait five minutes. She learned that shit from Trevor, mm. brushing people aside with common sense. Helen takes more photos. It's kind of cool. She exits this hole in the wall. The camera zooms out, and it's a mural of a man screaming with his mouth open, and the hole is the mouth. It's a pretty cool shot. At the base, she finds a pile of candy filled with razor blades. The scene with the candy goes nowhere? No. I thought it was going to be that that was related to the candy man who is the fake. If anything, other than Purcell's story about him being the quote-unquote candy man, there's no real reference to candy at all here. No. Other than like the sweets to the sweet, but even that's like, okay, what does that mean? I might watch the sequels because apparently his lore and the explanation of what sweets to my sweet mean come in the later movies. That's unfortunate. Yeah. What if you don't watch the sequels? Yeah, I kind of wanted to know more about his lore. But yeah, the candy and the razors in the candy go nowhere. Think- Seems like an offering to him, if anything. I think that's just something that was like a source of fear at the time, wasn't it? Weren't mm-hmm. they always saying that during Halloween, people were giving out candies with razor blades? I heard this a million times growing up. It was always on the news. Back to Bernadette. She waits nervously smoking a cigarette when Helen scares her through the cabinet hole. As Bernadette says they have to go, they're startled by the woman with the dog who says they don't belong there. Helen tries to give the woman that barged in on them her card and explains that they're there for their thesis. As the lady stares at her like, okay. Okay. She hears a baby crying. She goes immediately to pay attention to her baby. They follow her and she says white people coming into the apartments only means trouble. The woman says if they're doing a study, they're probably only going to say that the people who live here are bad. Nothing but drugs, stealing, gang banging, and they're not all about that. We find out that this woman's name is Anne-Marie. She doesn't mean to be rude, but white people aren't usually friendly. As she's saying these things, the baby gets fussy and Helen runs to go get something for her to help with the baby. Anne-Marie decides to tell them about Ruthie Jean's murder. She says she heard the screaming and called the police, but no one cared. She says she's scared for her and her child because no one is going to catch the candy man. Cut to a man laughing. Helen and Bernadette are at dinner with Trevor and a man named Purcell. She is saying a very real story that's happening in her area, Cabrini Green. People aren't taken seriously when they need help. The cops are never there and think that they're crazy. And we get this very entitled laugh from Purcell at a fancy restaurant. That's done on purpose. It has to be. I heard the laugh immediately and I was like, man, fuck that guy. I don't even know him yet, but fuck him. But I hate him. Yeah. They're really shitty. It's just written all over their face that they feel like they're better than everyone, including Helen, who is his own wife. His own wife. And that's like so upsetting. Fuck everybody at that table, except for Helen and Bernadette. And Helen a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Purcell jokes about their thesis and says he can help them with it. Helen snaps back and says that they're going to bury him with their research. Purcell laughs at them and Bernadette says that they recently visited Cabrini. We have this moment of Trevor kind of telling Helen to like shut up. Purcell says he knows what happened there and wrote a paper about it 10 years ago. He laughs in their face as he explains the legend. It's a really funny moment because he's like, you know, the legend of the Candyman, right? And then Helen very deadpan is like, no, (laughs) she is writing an entire thesis on 
on it. It's very mansplainy. Yeah, I would have rather had Alan be like, I found it in research. Fuck Purcell. Purcell's whole character just exists to be this shitty, entitled man who mansplains. And he serves no purpose other than this, and then later at the funeral to point out, oh my god, the black people are coming to the funeral. Yes. Again, like you said, I think his character is very on purpose. He's laughing right after we mentioned the struggles of a marginalized neighborhood, and then instead of treating Helen like someone that he could maybe collaborate with, someone who's his equal in the academic field, he's explaining her own thesis to her. Not to say that he's not an expert, but wouldn't you... You'd be a little more open to being like, okay, what do you know? Yeah. And I'll fill in the gaps. Let's work together. You don't have to be so like entitled on it. Yeah. He then explains the legend of Candyman. He said that the legend first appeared in the 1890s. Candyman was the son of a slave who made a fortune because he invented a device that could mass produce shoes during the Civil War. Because of this, Candyman was able to go to some of the best schools and lived in high society. He became well known as an artist and was commissioned to do a lot of portraits for a lot of rich families. One day he was commissioned by a landowner to paint his daughter. Purcell makes a point to mention his like beautiful virginal daughter, which is okay. Capture the virginal image and presence of his daughter. I bet you though 100% that's how the fucker described his own daughter though. (laughs) That's the fucked up part. Can you just capture that I'm a virgin in this portrait? Thank you. How do you capture that? <laughs> just paint my vulva shut. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the dad said. Seriously. And he said, but my daughter. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> capture my vulva shut on my daughter. Ew. <laughs> That's something else. But the two eventually fell in love and she became pregnant. When the father found out, he decided to get revenge and had people chase Candyman down all the way to Cabernet Green. The mob sawed off his hand and replaced it with a hook and then proceeded to cover him with bees while he was naked until he was eventually stung to death. He was then burned on a pyre and his ashes were scattered all over Cabrini. First of all, poor people. What the fuck? Why do they have to go out here and inhale someone's ashes? Second of all, the way that they put this hook on his hand is fucking brutal because it's got nails in it in the stump. It's a very odd way to torture someone. Yeah, if you're going to kill them and burn them. Why give them a weapon they can use? Because if you did that, I'm swinging. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm going to start taking you guys down with me. I think he says specifically that the legend shows that hooligans were the ones who were hired. I kind of viewed this as a polite way of a white man saying this was a lynching mob. These were white men. But the entire time that he is telling this legend, we are focusing on Helen's face, who seems to be very entranced by the story. Helen goes back looking for Anne-Marie and no one answers. A kid named Jake watches and tells her she's not home. The righty's in the window barking at her. so cute. Helen asks him if he knew Ruthie Jean. He hesitates as she tells him she's not a cop. Only a cop would say I'm not a cop. He says he can't say anything or else the candy man will get him. Honestly, I think at this point Jake's talking about the guy... The Lord of Crime. The Lord of Crime. <laughs> it means that much more later when Jake's like, wait, he's not real? I literally saw him. <laughs> I literally saw him give you that black eye. <laughs> he says he's not scared, but that she's crazy for even looking for him. She says she's not scared either and asks him to show her where the candy man is. He's like, okay, your own damn funeral. He takes her to a public bathroom nearby and tells her the story of a kid who he says for some reason is a R word. Doesn't even add value to the story. It's the 90s. I guess we use this language. He says 
though that the kid was murdered there. His mother was at the store across the street when suddenly everyone heard screaming. The people nearby stopped her from running to the bathroom and a man decided to go check. He says a big strong man. The man wasn't in there five seconds before running out. His hair completely white from fear. I want to see these people who are allegedly turning white from fear. Some Nancy action. Yeah, but another story that's kind of weird. The kid had his junk cut off and thrown in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, he was castrated by Candyman. Even worse knowing that it's this crime lord dude who did it. Why? Yeah, I, I don't want to. Helen's like, did he die? And the kid's like, I mean, he might as well have. He doesn't have his penis anymore. Yeah. Helen asks, though, if he's sure the Candyman did it. And Jake says, yeah. And she goes in because she's a white lady. And she's got to be up in everybody's business. The bathroom reeks with writing all over. She checks every stall. And the last one has the writing from earlier that says sweets to the sweet. She opens the stall and an arrow points at the toilet. She opens it and finds a swarm of bees inside. Scary. Been there. Really? Public bathrooms be full of all kinds of bullshit where it's literally a whole on the ground and there's just so much stuff in there that I'm like I'm gonna just shit myself it's cool. Outside someone approaches Jake from behind and he turns slowly saying the candy man? In the bathroom Helen is taking photos when she sees several men enter with the main one holding a hook in his hand. She tells them she's not a cop and doing research for school just like she said to Bernadette. The main man comes up to her and says I heard you're looking for a candy man bitch and hits her on the side of the head with the hook. It's pretty intense like the way it looks in this shot you think she'd be dead. I think she would have lost her eye realistically. I think they'd have killed her honestly, and cut her dick off too. They did it to a kid. Why not her? How did she survive? Well, I brought this question up while we were watching it and it was like something that she points out later on is like, how smart is it to attack a white woman? Yeah, I wanted to get there because it's just so... It's heavy. Up. She brings it up later, essentially saying, isn't it fucked up that two people are killed in this neighborhood and no one gives a shit? A white woman is hit and they shut the place down. Yeah. And isn't it so sad that this film was made 30 years ago? And it's the fucking same. And it's the same shit. In the next scene, we see a police lineup of several men repeating the line, including the man who did it. I think it's just funny because everyone's just like, I heard you. We're looking for the candy man, bitch. Helen with a swollen eye points him out and is told she's lucky to be alive. The cop explains he's responsible for all the killings, actually. She asks if Jake is okay. Yeah, it turns out he was working under the moniker of Candyman. After questioning, she approaches Jake in the hall, who says that he just wants to go home. He's pissed and says that she lied to him because it's supposed to be a secret between them who Candyman is and that he showed her this kind of crime scene. He literally said, snitches get stitches. What the fuck, Helen? We had a deal. Yeah, I don't blame this kid. I literally told you I don't trust you. He told me to trust you because you're not a cop. And then you took me straight to the cops. What the fuck? <laughs> and he is now afraid that Candyman is going to get him. She reassures him that Candyman from the stories is not even real and that they've caught the man who did it. Back home, Helen sets up a nice dinner to celebrate with Trevor. Quite some time has passed because her eye has healed. Trevor shows up late and the scene only really serves like two purposes. One, to let us know that Trevor's kind of doing some sketchy stuff and later on it becomes kind of a sweet moment between them that Trevor is remembering. She asks, are you hungry? And he looks disgusted like, mm, yeah, I am. <laughs> but Starving. He probably went out to eat with Stacy. Yeah, or ate out Stacy. I don't know. Her vulva. Capture her essence. Her vulva. Later on, she meets up with Bernadette at school and says two people were killed and no one cared. But as soon as a white lady gets hurt, the whole neighborhood is shut down. Bernadette agrees, but says at least they caught the man who did it. She also has a surprise for her. She was able to save all the photos that were taken during the incident. They celebrate by saying that the papers are going to love their thesis and they're 
side of the story and that they're going to get to work on it in the morning. J. Jonah Jameson's really going to love those pictures of Candyman. I just love how that meme has been around since we were children and it's still a thing. <laughs> but when she says, I saved the photos, I didn't even think the men probably like destroyed her camera. You know, I feel like the entire purpose of them harassing her was kind of to get her to stop prodding into them and investigating them. So yeah, destroying evidence makes sense. Helen is very excited and is looking over the photos as she walks to her car in the parking lot. She hears someone approaching but doesn't pay too much attention until a very deep dreamlike voice says her name. Enter the Candyman. Finally. <laughs> Helen sees a man standing in a long coat across the parking lot. This coat is real nice. I kind of want to find one. This is the most stylish horror icon that I've seen. Love his coat. Kind of want one. It's very 90s. It's very 1890s vibe. It's very 1890s. You know, it just like Survi- ages well. It survived a century. <laughs> These coats might still be somewhere. If you know where to find one, let me know. She asks him if she knows him. He says no. And that she has doubted him. She starts getting flashes of the mural and becomes entranced. She starts tearing up and seems hypnotized as he speaks. He says she wasn't convinced by his story, so he had to come to her. He says, be my victim, and he shows her his hook. His monologues, until you hear them multiple times, kind of don't make sense at first. You're like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Yeah, because he goes on to say that he is the writing on the walls, whispers in the classroom, and without them, I am nothing. Now I must spill innocent blood. He's a tulpa. He kind of is. Again, when you first hear this, you're like, what the hell? He is truly a legend. He lives through the retelling of his story. He is somewhat immortal, but somewhat not, as we later find out. We hear a woman screaming as Helen wakes up on the bathroom floor. She is completely covered in blood and finds a meat cleaver next to her. She gets up and kind of explores where she is, and we find out that she's in Anne-Marie's apartment. Anne-Marie is crying and flailing over the crib, asking where baby Anthony is. She sees Helen, who tries to ask her what is happening, but Anne-Marie immediately attacks her. Anne-Marie bangs Helen's head against the ground. Helen tries to defend herself by cutting her arm with the meat cleaver and is found in a very compromising, suspicious position as the police barge in. (laughs) She's literally over this woman with the meat cleaver over her head. Helen is taken to the station and we see her stripped of all her clothes that are covered in blood. It's a really long scene of her just getting naked. Lift your boob. Lift your other boob. Is there candy with blades in there? Yeah. She was told she's under arrest because at 10 p.m. and Marie came home and found her dog decapitated. So fucking sad. Yeah. Roddy was so cute. When she cried for assistance, Helen attacked her and that's when the officers broke in to help. They then ask her where the baby is. When she says she doesn't know, they proceed to say that she is a sick person. In shock with all of this, she asks to make her one phone call. She calls Trevor, who doesn't answer, and the phone goes straight to voice message. She is then put in a cell where she gets the privilege of having cigarettes with her. Yeah, she hasn't even been in prison that long. We get flashes back to the apartment where baby Anthony is crying in that secret room in Ruthie Jean's apartment with a hook over him. Shrek a pose with the hook. I just thought the hook flashing was funny because it's like baby crying, put hook in image to make people scared. Worried for baby. I think that Anthony is the focus of the 2021. Oh, interesting. Trevor brings Helen back home with the help of their lawyer and says no one thinks she actually did it, but asks what she remembers. She says she doesn't know and just woke up there. As she takes a bath, Trevor tells her he's going to go to the university and be back in 20 minutes. She asks why he didn't answer the phone when she called and he says, well, I was asleep and thought maybe you were with Bernadette. When he 
leaves, she remains suspicious of everything and she gets her bag of photos, looks at them through a projector before noticing that one of them, where she took a shot of herself in the mirror, shows the cane man standing behind her. I don't even know that this is possible. I've never taken a photo that's so fucking blurry, but that something blurrier is in the background and I like can make it blurry to make the back thing clear. <laughs> yeah, I would not have noticed this at all. No, it's too forced. <laughs> but she runs to the bathroom to look in the mirror and a hook comes out at her through the medicine cabinet. Scared as fuck, she runs to the hallway and sees him standing at the end of the hall. He repeats for her to be his victim and believe in him. He has the child and must take her life or he'll take theirs. Your disbelief disrupted my congregation. Without them, I am nothing. Now I must kill you. Your death will put fear in children. Come with me and be immortal. I, at first, before we knew that whole 1890s story, was wondering why he spoke like this. Yeah. And it's just, I guess, old speak. Very poetic. So I actually had to do like a lot of Candyman Explained videos after this because having not seen the sequels, the backstory is hinted at but not fully explained or I'm slow and couldn't catch it. No, honestly, I rely on you to explain things to me. I'm not the best at catching little details. Yesterday when we were watching it, I was like, what? What does this mean? And you were like, I don't know. And I was like, what does this mean? You're like, I don't know. And I was like, what? You're the reason I know things. (laughs) Yeah, so I had to do some research. Just the way he was saying like things about a congregation, he needed people to believe in him. You hear congregation and you think church, but I think it's in terms of an urban legend. It almost makes me think that with the fake Candyman existing, because the people feared a Candyman, it helped him thrive there. Whether they believed in him or the actual Lord. No, yeah, I think that's true because as soon as he's arrested and people have a real life face to put to Candyman is when he appears and is like, you're to blame for my lore being destroyed. He says all that as she stares at him again in that same hypnotized state and is cut by the hook on her neck. Bernadette is at the door ringing the doorbell and poor Bernadette. Again, what the fuck? She should have just left. She knows Helen's crazy. She doesn't have to follow her around and get killed. Bernadette is at the door ringing the doorbell and hears the commotion. Helen tries to yell out to her to leave, but she can't scream loud enough. It's like she's being suppressed by the Candyman. Bernadette enters the apartment frantically. The door slams quickly behind her. She turns around and sees that the Candyman is there. He kills her off screen. Or does he? Mm. We could talk about that at the end. Yeah. Trevor shows up in shock and sees Helen covered in blood and a knife in her hand. She's handcuffed and given a shot as she yells out for Trevor. She sees Bernadette dead on the floor as cops investigate the murder. Poor Bernadette. The way she was killed seems very brutal because they are picking photographs off her wounds. The makeup they did on her, I feel like they made her look way too pale. They made her look like someone who got drowned. Yeah. If she was caught like right after the murder was committed, I don't know if she would look that pale. Again, if you're a forensic scientist, email us. <laughs> Let us know. She looks like she was drained of blood. Yeah. Like a blue zombie from Dawn of the Dead. And I think I feel like so terrible because Bernadette was like her one true friend in this. Like her husband is not there for her at all. No, later Helen says Trevor was the last thing she had really, but Bernadette was there for her from the start. She even went into this allegedly violent and dangerous place with her. Questions asked, sure, but she still did it. Mm-hmm. I feel like Trevor would have never done that for Helen. In a cop car, she sees the flashes of the lights and in a trans-like state, flashes of the mural of the man with his mouth open appear to her. We hear the candy man ask her why she wants to live. He says, it's a blessing to be whispered about and live in people's dreams without having to be. She sees a flash of the baby Anthony in the apartment and says, please God, don't let him kill the baby. But we cut to Helen then being taken to a hospital. She is frantic 
frantic and keeps asking for Trevor, who is holding her hand, but they eventually get separated. She continues to call for him as she is strapped into a bed alone in a room. Candyman then appears to her and hovers over her and asks her to give him a kiss. She calls for help and says the murderer is here. He is under the bed before the medical staff comes in and sedates her. Not understanding what the fuck was happening and what Candyman meant by anything. I was like, why is he trying to kiss her? What is this? What is happening here? Not until you find out that Helen might be his reincarnated love do you kind of understand what's going on. Back at the apartments, we see a scene of baby Anthony cooing as Candyman puts a finger full of honey in his mouth to feed him. And we get another flash of the hook. I didn't know that he was putting honey in his mouth. I was like, what? (laughs) First he wants to kiss Helen, now he's sticking fingers in baby's mouths. What the fuck is happening here? I'm pretty sure it's honey that he's putting in his mouth. Uh, We can like double check that, but it came at a time where I was like, yo, would this baby even still be alive? It's been so many days and it hasn't been fed. And then I was like, oh, I guess yeah, if you're feeding the baby honey. <laughs> but the next thing we get is Helen being woken up and wheeled to the office of Dr. Burke, who informs her that she's been there for a month, but she's been drugged on Thorazine the entire time. And is this legal? I mean, it was state mandated, okay? We've learned that the law can do whatever the fuck they want. I mean, this feels very illegal, but Helen is surprised and yells at him. He informs her that it's state mandated because he He is part of her defense team as she is being charged with first degree murder. He asks her what happens and she's trying to say that she is not capable of murder and that she is not crazy. He then shows her footage of when she first arrived in that scene where we saw Candyman floating above her and then under her bed. We now get the camera's point of view where she is just talking and screaming at nothing. Yo, kudos to Helen though. I think if I had seen that shit and I like truly went through this, I'd be like, I'm fucking crazy. I don't don't know what I'm doing here. (laughs) But she doesn't. She stands her ground and says that Candyman is responsible for this and she can prove it. She then turns to a mirror in the room and says his name five times. Yo, this movie from here on out just goes insane. It is wild. (laughs) Burke just kind of looks at her disappointed before he starts screaming in pain. And we see Candyman behind him stabbing him repeatedly with his hook all the way along the back of his neck. Helen screams as Candyman removes her restraints and jumps out the window. Very stylish, I will say. Saying, tonight the congregation will witness a new miracle. The staff begins to realize something is wrong and is banging on the door as Helen decides to climb out the window and follow Candyman. Fuck it. I'm crazy. Might as well just continue to be crazy. What do I have to lose? Fun fact. At some point in the past, they were like, this is too brutal. Make it less brutal. They did that. And then now it's like the actual footage from before. It's not even that bad. It just gets split all the way to the back. He's just like split in half. And not even in like the worst way. 13 ghosts. That's fucking brutal. This, not so bad she climbs out the window and kind of shimmies her way to the next window this is terrifying i hate heights i I cannot do this fast she just does this no hesitation nope She's already crazy. What else is she going to do? She bangs on the window next door and a nurse or orderly lets her in. Helen immediately jumps on her and slams the back of her head on the floor. I hope this woman's okay because that looked intense. (laughs) I think the funnier part is that the person who's in the room tied to the bed, another patient, is just staring like, what the fuck? (laughs) That is so messed up. (laughs) Again, this movie just goes insane after this. (laughs) Helen then steals her clothes and uses them to escape the hospital she escapes and goes home and notices that the door to her apartment is wide open she calls out for trevor as she sees the walls are being painted pink 
pink. Fucking disgusting. This was Stacy's idea, wasn't it? It's also, I think, very 90s, because I'm pretty sure I had an aunt who painted her walls this color. She walks in on Stacy from class painting. When Stacy notices her, she laughs as Trevor comes in talking to her sweetly like a fucking child and also notices Helen. It's disgusting. He's like, does the baby have a boo-boo? I'd punch you in the face if you talk to me like that. I'm gonna start talking to you like that. I am gonna punch you in the face. Domestic abuse. The little baby's gonna punch me in the face and give me a boo-boo. I hated every second of that. (laughs) Trevor asks her why she's there and tells Stacy to call the hospital. Helen asks, what's the matter? Scared of something? And asks Trevor if he was gonna wait until she got out to tell her. Or no, were you just not expecting me to get out at all? I think he wasn't. Flashback earlier, when they're holding hands, it emphasizes their two wedding rings and gets separated. I think that was just like one more way to be symbolic and say their marriage is over and this is the last time they're seen together. I would argue. Their marriage was over forever ago. Yeah, the second he was like flirting with that student. The second he was at home for a second dinner without saying he was at home for a second dinner. Where he keeps coming home late at night. When he didn't answer the phone when she's in jail. And side note, Trevor is not an attractive man. (laughs) No. Helen is a very beautiful woman. I hate her hair in this entire movie, but... I swear at the beginning I thought she was Scully from X-Files. She looks very much like her. A little bit. I love Scully. This lady is attractive. I will say. She is attractive. And the student who is Stacy literally looks like the exact same as her, but like two years younger or something because it's not even that drastic. Like his wife is beautiful. Trevor, she wasn't even the fucking lead of the movie, okay? Helen hands Stacy the phone and tells her to call them. Stacy cries and is afraid for her fucking life. Helen hands the phone over to Trevor and says she's not a murderer and that he was all she had left. This is sad because Helen is there to be like, fuck you guys, but also like her whole world has crashed down on itself. And she doesn't go there to be like, fuck you guys. She goes there to look for her husband because she needs support <laughs> yeah so she's the real victim here even though they feel like they are although i get it i would definitely think she was a murderer at this point i think it's just bad timing on this affair started before i realized you could kill me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like if you started telling me hey these things are happening to me and i just showed up i don't think i would think you're a killer i'd be here to find out what's going on with you it's clear that trevor doesn't even give a shit to no. look into what's happening with her obviously trying to alienate her to make her vulnerable so she will agree to come with him after helen says that she says it's over and leaves trevor then runs frantically to the phone we hear Candyman say they'll all abandon you all you have left is my desire for you helen goes to the apartment building and sees the mural on the wall with art that shows what happened in the 1890s she finds Candyman on the table sleeping question mark i thought this was super weird because i thought he was kind of like a freddy-esque character that lived in like people's dreams and legends he's gonna take his quick pre-murder nap always need one of those or he just murdered the shit out of that one guy and he's like i get one per day i gotta take a nap before that recharge <laughs> she approaches with a hook did we see when she picked the hook up yeah she picks it up as she's entering he left it there for her it's matching his and her murder weapon he should have also matchingly kicked her in the hand so hard it came off and put the hook in her hand anyway she approaches with a hook and stabs him he opens his eyes and grabs her hypnotized again she screams that they had a deal Candyman recites more, saying their pain will be exquisite, their deaths are nothing to fear, and asks her to be immortal with him. It's very romantic. Yeah, there's this whole spinning scene that's happening between them. Yeah, did you know that Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen apparently took classes of like ballet and fencing together to further improve their romantic chemistry on camera? No, I did not, but I did see that this was supposed to be a kissing scene between the two of them, but the studio said, no, no, we're fine with like tons of violence, but an interracial couple? 
Mm, oh really too yeah that obvious they said that they're like we're worried about how audiences will react to an interracial romance their romance is like heavily hinted at i mean it flew over my head (laughs) it's the entire backstory of candy man yeah once you know the lore at the end you're like oh yeah that makes sense why he's like so obsessed with her dude people need to fucking grow up yeah it was the 90s you'd think it'd be a little better i don't know i'm always constantly disappointed by how we've done (laughs) upsetting yeah when she grabs his chest she's covered in bees he opens his jacket and his chest cavity it looks like he's worn away you can see his ribs and shit his chest cavity is swarming with bees they come out of his mouth as he goes in for a kiss and covers her with his face this kind of goes back probably to what you were saying they didn't want to show the kiss and Mm. they just put his head in the way it's implied though i think that they kiss right because he shoves bees into her face and mouth she passes out and the candy man goes and grabs the baby saying it's now time for that new miracle christmas this scene is like super iconic and I appreciate it more knowing like how much work went into creating this scene. The authenticity of it makes it look that much better too. I think if it had been CGI, it looked like shit. Right. Making it practical was like a commitment. It's wild. I think Tony Todd had to wear kind of like a mouth guard. It's still not enough for me to be like, yeah, I'll put a bunch of bees in my mouth. <laughs> but maybe if you pay me a thousand dollars per bee. Honestly, I think a thousand bucks is too It's cheap. low, right? Yeah. <laughs> different times i would have charged more hell yeah 10k each sorry at least especially if this motherfucker is over here telling me like no you're not go get a test she Do it needed anyway. to charge a thousand per b sting as well just per b just per b especially since you're <laughs> fucking allergic anyway helen wakes up and finds the hook that she had earlier she makes her way through the abandoned apartment and finds a wall lit with candles and notices a woman on the mural that looks a lot like her. Clearly, she missed her own picture on this first viewing of it. There is writing all over this mural that says, It was always you, Helen, which is narrated by Candyman. She then hears the baby crying outside and realizes baby Anthony was placed in this giant pile of garbage outside the building that earlier we found out was going to be part of a bonfire the community was gonna do helen makes her way outside to try and save the baby and is climbing up this pile of garbage jake is woken up by all the commotion and sees a hook in the garbage he doesn't see who's wielding it but he believes it to be Candyman. he then wakes up everyone in the community and decides that he is gonna burn down this pile of garbage they go out with jugs of gasoline and start dousing the entire pile helen finds the baby and as she grabs anthony and is about to try and run out with him she is grabbed from behind by Candyman. At this point, the people in the neighborhood have lit the pyre on fire, and Helen is screaming for help. Candyman says that they'll never be separated again, and I think at this point in the scene, it's meant to represent him, the woman he loved, and the baby that I'm assuming they never got to have together. He's probably thinking all three of us could be mortal together. I'm just so sad. (laughs) It's hard to think that Candyman's a villain, because he's the one that probably got the worst out of anyone here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He was stuck being immortal because of what people did to him. He didn't ask for this. No. I mean, it sucks for Helen. I'm not saying that she's not the victim here either. I mean, he's being extremely toxic with her, yes. But yeah, it just sucks that he's stuck in sort of this. It's like a ghost, right? It's like unfinished business for him. Yeah. Helen decides that she's not done putting up a fight and grabs, it looks like a steak, a wooden steak that's on fire and shoves it through Candyman's chest. Because he's a vampire too, somehow. Apparently. He bursts into flames screaming and she makes her way out with the baby. Not before a beam falls on her and her entire clothes and hair catch on fire in the process. Once she's out, she hands Anne-Marie her baby and the rest of the community tries to put out the burns on her body.
body. In the background, we see Candyman once again yelling. He is burnt up, Jake being able to see a charred body in the fire. The next scene we cut to is unfortunately Helen dead. We are at her funeral with Trevor, Purcell, and Stacy there. Fucking asshole of a husband to bring his new side piece to your funeral. I would have crawled out of my grave at that moment. <laughs> right. Not waited. Fuck the rules of my summoning. I believe it's Purcell who says, Trevor, look, as the people of Cabrini Green approach led by Anne-Marie and Jake. I think there's something like kind of problematic about him saying this because he's the one who's the expert on Candyman. He researched him, but he wants to treat the community that, uh, okay, you know, you know where I'm going with this. It's yeah. upsetting. Trevor even looks at them in complete shock and They're fear. They're afraid. But Trevor stares in shock as Jake drops Candyman's hook into her grave. I think it's a nice scene. It kind of emphasizes it's possible that Helen has found her congregation. Back home, Trevor is crying in the bathroom because it seems it's like the only place he can get away from his girlfriend, Stacy. Who he obviously finds annoying now. <laughs> no, oh, I hate him so much. Well, you're like 40 years older than her, dude. Yeah, you should know that a college student is going to be annoying to hang out with. But um, I'm annoying to hang out with and I'm only 30. Stacy calls out to him to see what he wants for dinner. And she is like annoyed that he's grieving Helen. She is also not great. It's clear that Trevor wants to be left alone. However... He is remembering that scene from earlier where Helen had cooked him dinner. Somewhat crying, he's looking in the mirror and says Helen's name five times. A bunch of flashing begins to happen and Helen appears behind him in the mirror. With her head still burnt. Yeah, she is bald now. Similar to Candyman, it's like whatever they suffered in life becomes their like appearance in their immortal state. She's still hot though. She still looks fucking great. She looks great bald. As he turns around in shock, she says, scared of something? And she picks up the hook that she was buried with. He is then gutted by Helen. Stacy hears the screaming and enters the bathroom where she finds Trevor's dead body in the tub. It's a very goofy face that he's making. <laughs> yeah, it's like they told him, act dead, and he's like, bleh, bleh. cross-eyed. <laughs> she is screaming while holding a kitchen knife, kind of implying she's going to be framed for it. Yep. It's a very obnoxiously long knife, too. It's the one that little Michael is holding at the beginning of Halloween, because fuck. Absolutely. <laughs> but the credits roll over this angelic, saint-like mural of helen with her hair on fire suggesting that she is now a legend herself her own tulpa and that's Candyman. what did you think i kind of mentioned it a little bit where i had to do some more research on the story because i was a little confused on the love story aspect of it but yeah it's interpreted that Helen is the reincarnation of his lost love. And it makes more sense as to why he didn't kill her outright and is trying to convince her to be immortal with him. I wonder how this pans out in the sequels. But after looking it up more, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And it's super different from like the slashers of the 80s that we've seen before. Right. His motivations are romantic, which is so different prior to her starting to study this. What was Candyman doing for the last 100 years? Yeah. Was he just trying to stay alive until he found his true love? Or was he content just being an urban legend? Because it would also explain her fascination with trying to uncover as much as possible about him. I'm super glad that she got revenge on Trevor, though. She gives me Hellraiser vibes at the end. Yes. Oh my God. It looks so much like 
Hellraiser. I'd like to see Candyman again. I want to watch the sequels for sure. With this new one from 2021 being a direct sequel to this one, it makes me think that two and three are probably not as good if you felt the need to do that. I don't know because I feel like that's the route a lot of remakes are going right now. This is the direct sequel. Forget everything you knew. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. I'd like to see more lore, find out what happened to Candyman. I don't think he's ever given a name other than Candyman, right? And it has no reason either because Candy plays no part, but you said maybe it does. Stay tuned. We're going to watch the sequels. Yeah, I don't know. I really like this. Actually upset that we didn't watch it sooner, especially since my cousins love to have a grand old time fucking scaring me with it. Watching this compared to others, this one's actually a lot more thematically dense, I think, than like a Jason, oh, a yeah. Freddy. There's a very different storyline here. No horror icon we've seen before had like a love story behind it. What do you rate this? I give this one an 8 out of 10. I loved the soundtrack. It was beautiful. It's very unique in the slasher genre. I can see why it has a cult following. Really excited to see all the sequels and then the 2021 Candyman. If it has to do with the kid. Anthony. I'm excited for that. I'd rate it a 8.5. I like seeing a horror in Chicago. It is a different enough story that makes me want more. Yeah. Do you want to talk about what scared Loki about this movie? I don't think he actually gave a shit about anything that happened in this. He was actually also hypnotized and found it very quite tranquil. He was like, yes, Candyman, please. Let us live exquisitely. (laughs) Not deliciously. No. Do you want to tell us about it, Loki? He said, let's move back to Chicago. (laughs) Actually, he wasn't around when we lived in Chicago. But we've taken him downtown. He's been to the Bean. And he also loves visiting our parents. But is that pretty much it here for us? Yeah. Our anniversary is coming up, by the way. Our show anniversary. And we are thinking of covering our first ever vampire movie because we realized that we have not covered one in 50-something episodes. No, while we were on the clubhouse, one of the people kept bringing up how he's on like a vampire movie binge. And he was naming so many things that I was like, oh man, yeah, I love a good vampire movie. Yeah, we might tweet about it and get a poll going or something as always we hope you guys had a good time here with us you can follow us pretty much anywhere at shaken not scared pod except twitter twitter shaken scared pod you can send us an email at shaken not scared pod at gmail.com support the show on patreon you can get early access to episodes or a bonus episode and theme drink idea every month listen wherever you get your podcast give us a follow check out our drink videos go like them be sure to like rate review all that good stuff okay thanks bye bye